Hashtag our jungle didn't last long, eh? It's show your stripes. What kind of BS is this shit, you know? Like, I just, I f honestly, I honestly feel sorry for the West Tigers, man. Like, we played our worst game of the year. They should have won. You know, look at those players in that team. We got Mr. Semi-Final Football. We got, that's all they've got, actually, to be honest. They got L Luciano Lelua. Like, he looks like a wall beat every time we play him. And, you know, I, I just like, I, I laugh at our, our team, you know, like, we started off bad and, you know, the Tigers were getting pumped up. They're in their seats. They're already buying grand final tickets after the drop ball from um, Junior. And then we just went away with it. And then when Jacob Little score, it was just good that we gave them a little bit of sense of hope because, let's be honest, they've got nothing to cheer for, man. They, you know, they've got a second class. I've seen better stadiums in India. Like, they've got, like, a piss tall ball called Leichhardt. And, yeah, it's just, I just feel, it was just good to they get the dub from them and, their fans claiming a moral victory. Like, one idiot fan said, um, or oh, we pushed them to the limit. I wouldn't consider them general contenders. Mate, it's our worst game of the year. Like, we weren't completing it. We made your team look like semi-final players, you know, like, just Lu Lucien Lua. Like, really, you're going to tell me he's, he, like, he was, he was, like, unstoppable that game. I don't know. I don't know if we felt sorry for them, but, like, Jesus, man, I felt they should have won that game, seriously. And you know what? The, the, the difference is, you know, we might be, you know, we might not be a good team, but we had our worst game of the year, and we still beat you by 14 plus, so shove that up you, you fucking mergers. That's it. Welcome to another edition of the Para Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Forty, for another week with Hamish away on work-related duties. Um, you just heard from Birdie, um, we let him uh, tee off to start the segment, and joining us as well is Ham. Buddy, how you doing? Uh, after that, I'm fantastic. I'll tell you what. Try, try not to laugh during the, the oh, intro. Mate, I think uh, the Caesars described him perfectly with their song, Jerk It Out. Wind him up, put him down, start him oh. off and watch him go. Oh, what an oh. Can I just say, I was a bit nervous heading into this game, heading into this episode because, you know, with all this expectation and pressure, I didn't want to flop like the West Tigers do every year, you know? So, like, yeah, West no. Tigers fans... I sympathise with you guys. Birdie ain't no night face podcaster. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Birdie has uh, laid the table fantastically for our review of the round four action. So let's dive into it. Uh, the Parramatta Eels 36 defeating the West Tigers 22 out at ANZ Stadium, or as it is now called, Stadium Australia once again. That was actually um, raised on the tip sheet last night when Chanel pointed out to, <laughs> that I had gotten it wrong. I was like, when did they change it? It's, okay, we're back to Stadium Australia. Anyway, for the West Tigers, uh, you saw Dane Laurie score first with uh, Stefano Toikamano. Adam, it, I, I raised this on the podcast as well. Is it Dwahi or Doohy? Because the, on Fox Dowie. Sports. Uh, yeah, well, they called him Doohy on, on Fox Sports. So Dowie. 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 Adam Dowie uh, <laughs> and Jacob Little with um, – uh, the aforementioned Adam Dowie kicking three from four. And for the Eels, uh, end up with seven try scorers, so a few of them, but there's a couple of doubles in there. Murata Niakore started the scoring uh, with a nice pickup off a Mitchell Moses grubber kick, followed by Isaiah Papali'i. Then we saw a Tom Opachik double, followed by a Blake Ferguson double with Quinton Gufferson sneaking a try between Blake's first and second tries. And it was an off day on from the boot for Mitch Moses, only four from seven in terms of conversions, which kept the West Tigers in that because that actually goes... Uh, Blows the score out significantly if he adds a few more um, conversions there. Uh, in terms of the team stats, West Tigers did win the possession battle 52 to 48%. Um, time of possession fa uh, favoured them, not flavoured them uh, ever so slightly by about two minutes. Um, they had the edge and completion rates 83% to Parramatta's 76%. Um, in terms of all runs, they had the edge with a slight gain in um, run metres too. So they had 202 runs to 167 but only made five more meters than us, 1622 to 1617. So the Eagles much more efficient on a per run basis. 
Um, and they barely eked us out in post-contact metres too, 524 to 510. Eels had more line breaks, 5 to 3, had more tackle busts, 31 to 25. So once again, on a per-play basis, the Eels were much more dominant, um, but all that possession and territory they were gifting to the uh, Tigers on those uh, drop balls from the, whether it be kick or just uh, mental lapses, uh, did help the Tigers stay in the contest. Um, all right, boys, we can talk about individual player stats as we go along. What were the uh, main takeaways if we uh, sort of step outside the purview of uh, Bertie's fantastic rant at the start of the episode? For the first 70 minutes, even after the kickoff, for the first 70 minutes, I, th- I thought we were just in control. We looked calm. We looked cool. We looked confident. Um, you know, even when we were making those mistakes, I thought a fair few of those mistakes uh, were coming off um, trying to attack, like um, when Junior tapped it back to Gutho. Um, I thought that showed good attacking enterprise. Um, if Gutho catches that ball, he scores. Um, when uh, Nathan Brown lost the ball, um, he was pretty much going over for a try. So That, yeah. that one was painful. Uh, yeah. he, he lost it himself too. It felt like he was trying to shift uh, grip maybe as he was going into contact and the ball just squirted out. Um, yeah, some definitely some cheap turnovers there. And I know that Brad was very... Uh, uh, balanced and uh, calm in his post-match interactions on Fox, Fox Sports and said, you know, he always felt we were going to win this game. But you'd have to think that the boys, without even the coaches telling them, would know that they'd let themselves down throughout that contest. Oh, 100%. You know, it, while it was attacking, um, what I think was attacking play that led to those mistakes, you st- we still made those mistakes. And um, I think that the team could have realised a little bit earlier, hang on a second, these this attacking enterprise isn't coming off the way we thought it would. How about we just go back? Go back to four settlers, maybe go two passes wide of the ruck a couple of times and get the kick away. And they could have done that at the 60-minute mark and or say at the 65-minute mark and then all of a sudden the Tigers don't score their fourth try um, rather than us making those errors. Just because, it, you know, the Tigers might have scored those two tries um, sort of late in the first half, but they only came from Adam Dewey's um, big bombs. Like they had no other attack other than that. That's the only way that they were getting close to our line. So, and then in the second half, when we shifted away from just playing that power game, playing up the forwards, that's when they started to, you know, that's when they scored their two tries and got within two points. So, um, I mean, it was good that we did eventually get back into that uh, mindset of grinding out the win. I just think we could have done a little bit earlier. Yeah, it's weird because it was like the inverse of the game against the Sharks and the Broncos where. We started two sideways, uh, particularly against the Broncos, and then had to go back to playing straight. We started this game pretty well. We absorbed a lot of pressure from the Tigers after that, you know, horrendous start with uh, Blake Ferguson slipping over in junior. Oh, excuse me, got the hiccups. Junior knocking on uh, in, in goals, and then turned that into those free tries that you mentioned, Ham. And then we just got, you know, really into the whole attacking football and had to then circle back to playing solid football, which, you know, took the game away from the Tigers in the final five minutes. But yeah, um, so it's a game that when we look back at the end of the season, we're not going to really care about because we've got the two points. And I think that was pretty much reflective of what Brad said. You know, we got the job done. That's enough. And now we're building. Um, in terms of building uh, on an individual level, who really stood out for you? Because I think the player that caught a lot of eyes was Reed Marnie, but there were some other good efforts from the team uh, around him. I, I was, oh, Isaiah Papali'i, you know, mm-hmm. you talk about Reed having um, four fantastic games to start the year. I think Isaiah Papali'i's done the exact same thing. He's had four fantastic games. Uh, to start the year, whether it be coming off the bench in that uh, hybrid forward role, either playing out on the middle, uh, out on the edge or in the middle, or even just starting out on the edge. You know, he's just been fantastic. He's brought energy. Um, he's brought a point of difference to what we normally have out on the edge there. Very, um, Maddo's very workmanlike. I mean, he's still 
unbelievable player. Um, Papa's just got a bit just a bit quicker and a bit more lateral footwork, I think. Um, He's got a bit of a tackle bust in him too, hasn't he? We saw on that try yeah. um, some good footwork before the line and then carrying over the player. So you love like to mean, see that. I, it's probably a bit. Uh, unfair to say to Maddo because he's a very, very – he's an elite player in my opinion. He's probably the best second row in the game. But uh, when Papa comes on, um, we're not really losing much, which is a weird thing to say when you're talking about an elite second rower in the game. Bertie, who stood out for you, mate? Oh, I was going to – Ham said it, just Papa Lee. Like, you look at him and he never loses momentum. He's always, you know, pumping his leg going forward. Like, and it's always like a positive uh, meter gainage, whatever you call it. So, like – other than that, um, it's hard. You know, I think Kafushi did all right, especially up against uh, uh, against Stefano. Like, I think he held his own. And, yeah, you take the try out from Stefano, and, you know, I think Kafushi was better. And Nathan Brown, like, what more can you say about him? Like, um, they touched on it early in the game, early in the preview, that he has that um, sort of last-minute um, footwork where he can sort of deceive the opposition with his offloads and passing. But he didn't care about pass. He just made, made a point, I'm going to run. And maybe Brad Arthur gave him, um, you know, a personal objective, you know, run for 400 metres against the Tigers, you know, because it's doable. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's hard. I just I just can remember Nathan Brown's runs, you know. It was just hard, straight, and, yeah. Um, I just want to touch on, you touched on earlier about the West Tigers. Let's be honest, if, this, if it was a game of, like, fifth and last, they'd probably beat us because that's the only time they'll look dangerous, you know. And Dewey, you know, well done paying him 600, 700k a year to put up a bomb because, you know, he wasn't, it was... First half he was good. Second half didn't even notice him. Man, yeah, amazing, amazing what happens when you put pressure on a kicker. They turn, they you know they turn, they flop, they you know they just you know put pressure on the kickers and you know negate his um their bombs. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Bertie, just going back there. Sorry, forty That's on, okay. on Nathan Brown. Um, you know you talk about our starting middles, Reg Junior and Brownie, and people talk about a one-two punch in between the forwards. I think we've actually got a one-two-three-four punch. You start off with either Junior or Reg taking the opening kickoff. Then you have Blake Ferguson taking the second hit up. Then you have, you know, one of the other middles take. And all of a sudden, fourth tackle, we're on our 50-meter line coming off a kickoff. So, mm. you know, and Brown, yeah, as you said, just his footwork, like his change of direction, um, I thought it was a lot better this week. Uh, last week, I sort of um, criticized him about ball playing a bit too much. I thought he put it away this week um, and really hit it up in the middle. Um, so, yeah, just... Good to see him um, come off what I thought was a low low game for him from the Sharks. And we saw in this game, obviously, uh, Bertie mentioned that Luciano Lelua was uh, fairly good during that rant. And Luciano did have a very good game. It was probably one of, going to be one of his better games for the season. It feels like the, you know, there's always a player that will do that and whatnot. But um, in terms of neutralizing opposition, uh, a lot of hype came on to Dane Laurie's shoulders entering this game. But the Eels did a very good job nullifying him, I felt. Mm. Yeah, well, you, you know, he's only a small, um, you know, fullback. So, like, we didn't so much kick to him, but, like, it's just, he didn't seem dangerous. Like, he had one run where they, um, we, it was like on the fifth and last in the late in the second half, and um, we're going to tackle Luke Brooks, but they gave it to him and he, he puts in a bad kick. But, like, other than that, you take the try away and he's just a passenger. He's just like a play training cone. Oh, what do they call those cones at training? Not, not the ones that West Tigers fans use, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the thing. I thought we really negated him, especially uh, I think we highlighted in the preview that there's an opportunity there for the Tigers to attack our right-side defence, um, isolating Murata up against uh, Dane Laurie there. And I don't remember anyone burning Murata on the outside or anywhere there, so that was very good. The only the only time was potentially um, when they flip-flopped around on the last tackle and we sort of lost our shape there. That was sort of the only time I can remember 
the Tigers making any inroads on that right side edge. Oh, one thing that pissed me off was their offloads. Like, we just had no answer. And if you look back at um, the first game where we versed the Broncos, the first, you know, half, they were offloading at will too. And we've got to find a way to, like, um, try to negate that because they were just, you know, they had 23 offloads to our nine. Usually we are the ones. Um, and it just shows you we weren't on our game um, for that, that day because usually we're, like, leading the pack. Like, Junior leads the NRL for the past two years, I think. And the fact they only get nine offloads in 80 minutes, you know, it just shows... Um, either the Tigers did a good job or we just weren't there 100%. And, and also that we're capable of winning in more than one way. Um, you know, we played oh, yeah, a lot more sure. direct this game, um, scored off a lot of kicks as well, uh, which, you know, sometimes our set pieces or our, our sort of created set pieces in terms of our second phase play will, you know, feature more in other games. Um, a lot was made about Mitchell Moses, obviously, because it was a, a revenge game or a, a return game for him against the club that he debuted in, in the NRL for. Um, what did you make of Mitch's game? Do you think he handled the, the game nicely and didn't sort of overplay his hand? Um, I think the way he's crabbing across field, especially to set up that first try, um, I think maybe the rest of the team sort of needs to keep their eyes up. I noticed in the uh, Penrith versus Manly game when Penrith had an attacking uh, attacking play, when um, uh, I think it was ICEO had the ball, uh, Cleary jumped up, saw the opportunity there for a shift wide, and he actually positioned his body so he always kept his eyes on Yo. I, I think it was Yo anyway. He always kept his eyes on the ball and positioned his body so that he was behind the ball but also could um, involve himself in the play. I think um, if Moses, if Mitch is going to be doing those cross-field runs where uh, in, uh, he who must not be named at the moment um, used to do them in 2009 where just sort of used to say, look at the defence and sort of say, come at me, give me something to do. And then I'll put on a try against you. Um, I think Moses is um, able to do that. I just think the other twelve players on the field need to recognise, like, hey, this is what Mitchell's going to do. Maybe um, the other three spine players need to go. Well, we need to get behind the ball here, and we need to be able to do something with it as well. I, I think that's fair. There's definitely opportunities to be had on those sort of runs, um, and sometimes, you know, like you said, the rest of the team is thinking about the next like set play that is there to be had, rather than what's you know being presented to them on the field uh, with what's you know live. Um, yeah, anything else that really jumped at you from that game? Because it was like I said, when when all is said and done at the end of the year, we're not going to really reflect on this game. It feels like because it's just a banked win, which is always good. It keeps the Eels undefeated on the season, one of only two teams alongside the Penrith Panthers. Um, we're second on the NRL ladder as a result, which isn't surprising when there's only two undefeated teams. That's basic maths. Um, and in terms of our, our differential, uh, we're still up there, plus, four, um, plus 54, sorry, um, which has us um, behind uh, the Penrith Panthers at 94. Uh, who else is there? There's the Rabbitohs at 54, the Roosters at 86, and Melbourne Storm, they're only at 36, surprisingly. So a couple of those teams have big blowout victories against lesser teams. Um, so the Eels have the chance to pad their four and against as the season goes on. Um, but for now, they're just getting the job done, which is what you want to see. Yeah, I think we could have padded those stats or padded that four um, points for us because in that first half, stuck to what we know and what we can do, we've put on four tries. I think in the second half, we tried to dip, play a little bit too cute where we thought, well, you know, we could probably put a score on them here. You know, if one of those two offloads click, you know, we go two tries ahead and then all of a sudden, I think we could put a, we could have put a 50-burger on them. So... Mm. I'm not going to lambast a team for playing that attacking footy. Um, just yeah, just try and get back to that um, forward battle where we know we just we can smash pretty much every single team in the competition. 
and you know the the bench rotation was weakened against the Tigers by way of the Ryan Madison withdrawal uh, before the game. Uh, we had the push Papali out to the edge where he was outstanding, but it meant that once again Oregon Kafusi was the only really recognised middle on the bench. Um, you know we had Ray Stone come on there and play a few minutes, but uh, it wasn't the sort of game for Stoney yeah, one way or another because you know the Eels were playing more defensive football because they were trying to protect the lead rather than you know push out the gain a, a bigger advantage. Um, but yeah, so I think moving forwards you'll see that better balance off the bench with Madison you know coming back from his concussion pushing Papali'i back to the bench where he can be used in a more flexible role, whether it's through the middle or on the edges. And the same thing for Murata, because I think Brad remarked in the post-match press conference that he's doing a great job out there. He'd be Murata, of course, um, out at the centres, but he really wants him back in that rotation where he can sort of use him through the middle or, you know, put him wherever he needs to be, whether it's on an edge or, um, you know, just being sort of the the guy that dictates terms to use that Wally Lawsism and, and helps control the flow of the game from the interchange bench. Well, yeah, you know, I'm just looking at his stats here on um, champion data. He's got 11 runs for 97 meters. When Murata's in the middle there, I'm going, oh, that's a bit of a bit of an average to below average game for Murata. Whereas a centre, you're going, that's actually pretty good. So, but yeah, you chuck him on the bench there. He's getting up around 14, 15 runs, um, depending on how much ball we have, and he's getting, you know, 150 plus meters on the back of that. So I think while Murata's doing a very good job out on the edge for us, his values on um, coming off the bench there and just providing that impact along with Papa and uh, Oggy there. And a few little unsung heroes in this game probably. Um, I thought that Tom Opacic continues to be, you know, a really nice um, – and, you know, we, we've sort of talked about him being a glue player or the no-frill centre for us, but he got two tries in, in good fashion, running a really nice crash ball off Reed Marnie and backing up for that fan- – and, and I say this, but that fantastic kick from Quinton Gufferson on half-time. Um, that, took oh, a lot of, popped up. that took a lot of skill mm. just to execute it in a manner that – to beat the pressure, which was they were offside, but to beat the pressure um, and get that sort of kick away, where he sort of he snapped it and caused it to have like a, a topspin bounce. Um, very yeah. very cool technique and Opacic um pushing through in support of the kick, um getting the just desserts. And he there was a little moment of consternation because Tom was down the sideline at one point and looked like he'd hurt his knee, but thankfully it was just some sort of minor injury because he's not on the injury report. His name for round five and he scored that double, so fantastic. And um I think uh, a couple other little things. Uh, Dylan Brown made nearly 40 tackles. Insane. Um, actually insane numbers. So um, well done to him, although you would like him to sort of dial down the defensive workload in order to keep him fresh in attack, but still doing the job as required. Um, yeah, I thought- I just just talking about that defensive work from Dill, like there was a couple times there where I noticed Dill was chasing hard from Marker, which is, you know, exactly what you want from a player. But uh, he was chasing on his inside shoulder. Uh, I just think, you know, is that coming from a forward being lazy? Is that... Oh, it's probably from Dylan just being Dylan and just wanting to go out there, tackle his head off and make sure he does right by the team. But, um, you know, if you can sort of halve those tackles there, I think that he's got a lot more to show in attack. I think maybe that just that bit of extra defensive work there is um, slowing him down a little bit. Don't get me wrong. 100%. We still made over 100 metres or something. Yeah, he made, uh, I think uh, think it was like 12 runs for 100 metres or something like that. So he got through plenty of offensive work. But you want to see him be able to just take on – the line that much fresher because he's so strong and has such a nice right foot step that uh, he can, you know, if he's got he's got that much more juice left in the tank, it could be a line break. So, Well, I look at that try by Gutho, uh, the one where Fergo kicked it back in. I'm looking at the lead up work there from Dylan Brown. You know, he does that little sort of running to the outside shoulder, sort of moves right, sort of sways his body right, but then steps off his right back in and he's, the out ball to uh, Clinton Gutherson there. That just opens up because that sort of straightens the defensive line. 
because they've got to go, oh, hang on a second, Dill's drifting out here. But then he straightens up. They've got to straighten back up, out the ball to Gutho. A lot of that try, although it was individual brilliance from both Clinton and um, Fergo there on the wing, that try was really set up by Dylan Brown. He also is showing um, this year... Uh, reading the defense, like uh, there's one. I think Dewey does a chip and chase, and you know he gets to the ball straight away, and he's done it mm-hmm. again in round one. Uh, Milford put in the kick when they won the when when we won the pressure. Like so, he's sort of got his um awareness is is higher if that makes like he's just more aware of, uh, of a kick in behind, and you know that's only like um that's instincts. You know you can't teach a you know a, a half a half to hey on tackle four just be aware. Like that's just instincts, and you know I think um it's. it's you know, another player I want to uh, also talk about is uh, Reed Money. You know, in the past, I talked my displeasure with him kicking. Like, I think he picks the wrong time, but he had two kicks that came in. One of them pinned the Tigers in the, the 10 meter line, and the other one was a 40 20. So, like, you know, it's sort of like a sign of maturity with them, too. Like, um, you're not expecting them to do it, but it's just really glad to see them, um, you know, do those uh, little one percenters and um, stuff to change the momentum, you know. Absolutely. And then, and for a game that didn't feature any sort of game plan towards his side, I thought Mike Acevo did a good job staying involved this week. Um, you know, 10 runs for 100 metres is sort of the baseline you want from him. But defensively, he had a couple of really good moments, including um, absolutely cattle-dogging James Roberts into touch, which is unfortunately followed by Junior Paul having an uncharacteristic drop um, from the, the restart. But, uh, yeah, I, I like Mike getting involved there. Um and, you know, just, just across the team, there's a little stuff. Um, right near Corey was very aggressive in defense. There were a couple of times he really jammed some blokes up. So you like to see that. And it's Timber all, was out there hunting tigers. He, man, he really was. Like, he he really was. The, the Lion King out there hunting tigers for the um, the role of Alpha Feline. And yeah. and and so it's sort of like it's like infectious. Like if, like if someone's going to come out, you've got to hit them. You know, and like none of these like coming out, sticking your arms out, looking like a, um, you know, one of those blow up things that they have at the car, you know, car sales. Like, you got to make sure you hit, at least stop the momentum. But every time he came out, he made sure to not, even like grabbing by the legs, like people by the legs, like it's just, and, it's, 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 yeah, it's pretty good. Th- this is all on top of that awesome platform, obviously led by Campbell Gillard, uh, Paulo and Brown, Brown in the middle. And the reason I say these little things is because in a game like that, where we let the Tigers back in, I feel like the sum of those little things goes a long way towards getting that victory. And, you know, you just saw guys contributing in different places across the park in different roles. And it's, it's really good. So, that, does that put the ribbon on this one, boys, or anything else to say before we move on? I think Birdie should have final say, shouldn't Birdie he? got the first say, he can have the final say. All I'm going to say is, um, West Tigers fans, next time, next Easter show, maybe we can go, maybe come back to the Bank West because, let's be honest, it didn't work wherever you play. You know, like you moved to ANZ, probably trying to piggyback off the um, the Easter show. But, like, going forward, I think all West Tigers games should be held in libraries, man, because it's that quiet out there. You know, we're outnumbered, we're away from home, you know, we go to ANZ and all I could hear was a parachan. That and the, what the hell are you doing, um, Dewey? Like, just, yeah, such a shame. <laughs> just imagine if that was at Bank West. Like, you're you're taking your fans, you'd rather go to a, a less superior ground, far away from the action, you know, like, just to add a few more fans into the, to see what, to, to see you play, you know, shithouse football. Like, seriously. Justin, I should be CEO of West Tiger. I do a better job, and I'm taking the piss. I mean, half the time. that that has been a prominent topic in the media this week is the discrepancy between the, the haves and have nots in the NRL being facilitated by bad front office management. And yeah, but them, I think the Tigers fall uh, right in uh, the crosshairs there in terms of being mismanaged from both a football perspective and then also uh, from a front office perspective for membership. Because yeah, I mean, the the ANZ move was obviously done by and large to try and negate the home field advantage of the Eels, but 
Um, we're not exactly chump change at ANZ if anyone's paid attention to recent seasons. Um, obviously, we had a bad record there for years, but uh, after that move there full-time, um, Brad Arthur and the boys sort of got grips to the stadium for sure. Alrighty, so that does the NRL action for round four. Like I said, um, during the preview, Eels finished the week uh, having second place in solo grasp. Uh, behind the Panthers only on for and against, uh, with um, the Panthers having a, a nice little hand up or leg up with a couple of buyout wins over some of the smaller teams. But you know, Eels taking care of business and keeping themselves right in the mix um, as the season starts to get past the first month. Um, now let's move on to the rest of the weekend action for the Easter long weekend. Um, some good results, well, in, in terms of on paper, good results for the Eels in the Harold Matthews and the SG ball. Uh, for the Harold Matthews, the Eels twenty-eight to uh, the uh, the Eels twenty-eight defeated the Central Coast Roosters four. Gosh, that was mouthful. And as we mentioned in the podcast last week, the Eels played the Sydney Roosters uh, the week before, and then played the Central Coast Roosters. So a funny little double up. Um, for the Eels, uh, Suliasu Aho, Blaze Talangi, Tyrese Lakenny, Ethan Sanders, Joshua Alzahim, and Patrick Spence got on the score. Uh, board by way of try, with Ethan Sanders having a bad day, two from six uh, for the Roosters. Uh, Mason Stottelar, sorry Mason, um, got their sole try in the second half. Uh, Ham, this was a pretty solid win. Um, I do want to give a big shout out to Blaze Talungi, who came in from being the interchange utility player to the starting 5'8", and he had a whale of a day, didn't he, mate? Oh, it was, he just brought the energy that he has from the bench, usually... Um, you know, a half utility coming off the bench. He got a bit more energy, but he just played the whole game with that energy. He ripped in. It was it was de- know, defensive hits. It was cutout passes. It was taking it was, on the line. Defensively, I think that's one of the best games I've seen from a a back slash half in that grade. Oh, going back to Tui Afuwalo, of course. But you know, he was a he was a physical freak at his age. Um, but Blaze Talangi on the he's just he's a slender build, but geez, he's got some skill. I'd like to know sort of what age is if he's playing up an age or if this is his age. Because if he's playing up an age, boy, the will. Because, yeah, he's got he's got a very athletic build. It's sort of uh, – he's tall without being freakishly tall for a half, but he's got that sort of solid, rangy uh, physique that allows him to take on the line so easily. Um, and for a guy that's been playing sort of bench hooker slash uh, that the, the lightweight lock. lock that you see a lot of teams favoring in the NRL these days, he just came in like, – you would not have known that he wasn't the starting 5'8 for the Eels for the entire season. He just was that good. Um, and the entire team just like flowed around him, so it's awesome to see. Um, a couple of important points of order here for the Eels. They didn't get out of his game unscathed. Uh, both Suliasu Aho and Big Miles Martin were aided off the field by trainers. In Aho's case, it was definitely a knee injury, I think, um, and I'm not sure what happened to Miles. So uh, he was clutching at his ankle. Yeah. So um, we, the the New South Wales Rugby League have sort of botched their uh, scheduling now because it's. Would have been week one of the finals, the quarterfinals this week in a normal season, but because of that washed out week seven, um, we're going to be playing that this week. But they haven't updated their website to reflect that. So they actually linked to quarterfinal team lists when there aren't quarterfinals on. So we don't know who's been named. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were out of action, though, especially Sully. Um, he looked like he was in some trouble. Yeah, he was not good. Um, just quickly on Blaze, I've just uh, done a quick Google search on his name and come up under 15s division one in 2020 so oh goodness i think he's under 16 so wow. he's playing up a year wow so having a, a whale of a year because he's been very good off the bench for the eels and and in his first you know proper start in a role that he hasn't been playing he absolutely owned it and i mean terence lafayette does not deserve to be dropped because he was injured this week and and rested so and it creates the best kind of headache for the coach um so that keeps the eels in second place behind the manly seagulls um and this week they need to win to keep the Penrith panthers off their tails 
I think they've got like a plus 34 and against on the Panthers. So assuming that they win, they will most likely secure second place. But, you know, you've got to make sure you take care of that business. And then that wouldn't give them the week off heading into the finals because they'll have a week one bye and then be playing for a spot in the grand final when they do come back. Well, the Panthers will be playing the Central Coast Roosters, who we know are a very strong outfit. Yeah, there, they're, so. they're a very reasonable outfit. Yep. So, And the Eels will be playing the Sharks, who have fallen down to 10th in this competition. So, uh, you know, we, we've learned very that you cannot take any game for granted in any grade. Um, and that is very true in the Harold Matthews. So they cannot enter that game against the Sharks uh, expecting the win. But if they do ca- take care of the job, um, a week one by does look like it'll be waiting for them. In the SG ball, this one was an absolute bludger, and I don't want to disrespect the boys because I know they always put in, but this was one of the worst I've seen in a while. Eels end up prevailing 28-18 to 18 over the Thunderbolts, but the Melbourne Thunderbolts, or the Victorian Thunderbolts rather, uh, had the running for most of this game until a late surge from the Eels got them home. Um, Peter Tateo and Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa instrumental in um, turning the tides there through the middle, but there was a number of important performers across the park during that period. But for the Eels, um, their five tries came by the way of Kamoi Fekatoa, uh, Keanu Wright Dunrobin, Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa got a double, and Peter Tateo also got over. Uh, Josh Chappell importantly kicked four from five. Um, and for the Sharks, uh, Zacharias Fuimeano, who I do wonder if he's a relation to Tyrell, I'm not sure. And their hooker, uh, Tui Iremi, had a double and played very well throughout the course of that game. Uh, Noah Natapu kicked free from free from the kicking tee. Yeah, this one was tough, Ham. This one was a very tough game to watch. You know, um, I'm unsure of the stat. Oh, here we go. Uh, Para completed 20 out of 35 sets. Um, that's a thing when we held the ball. Um, we're making a lot of meters. Um, we're shifting the ball out to Tyrone Sayre, who was just absolutely carving them up. Um, for such a little fella, he's so strong. Tyron had a great game. Every, every touch he had, and he only got a few of them, unfortunately, he was electric. It was a line break or setting up a line break. They had no answer for him. Yeah, he was, you know, if, if we even complete five more sets, especially in that sort of middle period of the game where it just seemed to be tackle, lost ball, tackle, lost ball from both teams. Um, it just seemed like if we held the ball five more sets, um, I don't think the Thunderbolts would have come close. No. It's just, and the way Tyron was playing, I think, um, whilst he has been a very good fullback this year, I think his position might be centre where sort of his footwork and just getting one-on-one with his opposite, um, it just he really exploited his opposition there. And, you know, he didn't have a, an incredible game, but it was good to see Josh Torpolotto starting to come to his own at fullback, some good positioning, some nice kick returns, um, some good touches throughout the course of the game. Oh, and- I think you can just tell he's he's a class above this this um, the 19s. He's just... He looks comfortable under the high ball where sort of some fullbacks at this age are a bit shaky. Uh, chimed into the back line nicely when it came about. He was uh, strong in every contact. I think that usually took about three or four to bring yeah, him down. Yeah, and he was always driving him backwards too, so you love to see yeah. that. Um, so good to see Josh starting to find his wings again, and he'll undoubtedly move up to the Jersey flag whenever this season is done, um, whether it's next week and they miss out or if they go through the finals and however deep they go. So speaking of the finals, unfortunately, despite the win, the Eels do drop out of the uh, uh, the finish for the finals, if it were to be done at this round. They drop to seventh place with the Steelers leaping them on for and against. And the Steelers game is going to be come back, uh, be one that come back to haunt them because they tied for Steelers. So if they'd end up winning, it would have been a, a full you know two-point swing on the ladder. And then we've had outright six. Um, they actually would have jumped the they would have jumped the Raiders too, I think, maybe if a good for and against. Yeah. So um, some potential results are going to be left to Rue. Uh, for this, the SG ball. They do have a chance to make it on um, two outcomes. They've got the Raiders and the Steelers. They can leapfrog with uh, losses to either team and a good win to the Eels. But um, if both the Raiders and Steelers win out, 
the Eels need to win and make up 17 points of for and against on the Steelers. So they'd need to obviously get plus plus 17 or plus 18 rather. And um, on top of whatever the Steelers score in terms of differential in uh, the rescheduled round seven. So that's a tough one, boys. Absolutely. Um, so they, they will go down to the wire next week for them. And obviously there'll be people on phones looking at results as the, as the course of the game goes through. And all you can do is play your own game out and, and do the best by your own results. So um, that, that'll be covered on TCT, I believe, uh, one way or another. And um, yeah, we hope for both teams to make the finals in the Harold Matthews and the SG Ball. Matt's obviously going to be in one, whether it's week one by or not, so it's good for them. But the Ball got one shot left, and the Tush Gale, of course, having a bye this week, and they will play the Sharks next week, I think. But they're out of the running for the finals now. Okay, into the senior grades now. Uh, Jersey Flag continued their winless start to the season, their second game of the year. Um, they fell to the West Tigers 40-22. to um, for the Eels, Fru and East Hope got on the board first, followed by Caleb Toey, Jaden Yates, and a double to Charbel Tassapali. Another bad day on the kick and tee for an Eel. Kyle Schneider just won from five. Um, and that actually would have kept the Eels a lot closer in the contest too. Eight points on the, uh, left on the field there, so it would have been 40 to 30. Um, that much closer within striking range. Uh, a whole different ton of try scorers for the West Tigers, which I won't read because there's actually some difficult names in there and I don't want to butcher them. Uh, didn't get out to this one because it clashed with both the uh, New South Wales Cup and the NRL, more importantly, with kickoff at 5 p.m. Um, I will hopefully get updates to this for anyone that listens to the tip sheet on our Wednesday recording when Joey Grimer joins us and he can give us some uh, uh, report or review from what he knows of the game. Uh, so obviously the Eels winless on the season so they don't move up the ladder. Um, that takes us to the New South Wales Cup, which was televised uh, as the curtain raiser to the NRL on Easter Monday. Uh, another grade in which the Eels fell, unfortunately. Magpies edging them out 34-28. to 28. For the Eels, Kai Rodwell uh, opened their scoring followed by Will Penasini, Jacob Arfa, Makahesi, Makatoa, and Tim Lafai. Ranking pretty good off the kicking tee, four from five. Um, for the Tigers, uh, yeah, Jake Simkin, a Jock Madden double, a Kiara Cooper double, Joseph Lua and Reese Hoffman scoring. With Jock Madden uh, having a shocking day, two from seven in terms of uh, try conversions and one from one penalty conversion. Um, so most people would have seen this game one way or another, whether you were in attendance at, uh, I was about to say ANZ, but Stadium Australia, or if you were watching on Fox or KO. Um, this was a an entertaining but not necessarily high quality game. A lot of attack, defense very much optional. But as much as the the frustrations may be uh, coming out for a lot of fans in this game. I really enjoy this because the Eels were competitive, which is what I want to see from this young development team. And on individual levels, if you think it's discussed, boys. Well, you know, you look at the lineup there, I think uh, five of the back seven, maybe, possibly, uh, at least all one, two, three, four. Yeah, five of from one to seven are all eligible for Jersey flag and a couple of them eligible for SG ball. And I think um, that sort of showed in this game that, um, in moments, they showed that they were able to match their uh, op- opponents like Zach Docker-Clay, who's um, been in uh, reserve grade for a few years now. I think he spent some time over in Super League. So he's got a um, bit of experience there. Joseph Leilua, who's played uh, X amount of years in first grade. And, um, you know, these young fellas uh, stood up at times, but then they also let themselves down a few times with some poor decisions. Um, but... That's the whole point of, of uh, reserve grade and 100%. development. It's just it's to develop these players. It's to develop them and say, well, you know, you're not quite there yet, but you're at this level, and we're going to show faith in you. And you know, we've spoken about this offline, Ham, in that you look at what Will Penasini is getting out of this, and in two trials and two uh, New South Wales Cup games, he's played Jack Bird, uh, Brent Naden, uh, Nene McDonald, and and then on the weekend, BJ Le 
that that month's worth of experience is worth an entire season or two of Jersey Flag. Like what he would have oh, learned in I those four even, games. You wouldn't even get that. Yeah, from two years. That, that's probably that's probably being generous to the Jersey Flag because it's a it's an important vehicle for development. But that those lessons and the tape that he's going to watch from those games will help him so much more. Absolutely, and um, barring the game against Brent Naden, I think he's sort of equaled or gotten above his opponent. Yeah, in, and you know he got practice. he got given. Uh, so not a buff, but some important lessons in defense by J, uh, BJ Lelua, who was an, an NRL dominant center with the ball in hand when he was switched on. And he was switched on on the weekend, or on Monday, the long weekend rubber. And so Will had a couple of bad misses, um, but he, there was also a couple of times where he sort of, he, he read what BJ wanted to do and he'd made the, like, you know, he'd gone for the jam and just couldn't quite bring him down because BJ is a, a wrecking ball. So um, good stuff there and bad stuff in defense. But what was really encouraging was with the ball in hand, Will Penasini does not look out of sorts uh, in senior football. They are struggling to bring him down. Oh, looking at his stats, 11 runs, 110 meters or something like that. Um, you're looking at that from a 19-year-old playing this grade. Um, any age playing this grade, I'm going, that's some good stats. And um, that also included a really nice grab in the air um, to score to score a try. And there was some talk about uh, an obstruction and how it should have been. Re- I could have been reviewed if it was a VRF, but I thought that was fine. Um, so uh, maybe that was my bias. I mean, they but, scored off a forward pass and, and the guy in the, the, the grandstand. And, and that that I felt so bad for young Jake Arthur because he made an incredible effort play on that uh, on that break to get across from the other side of the field and gun down the winger. And uh, he knew it too. He got up saying, "I, I saved it." But uh, yeah. the touchy who was right in the spot missed the big foot on the line. You, you also got to look at Russell Pack. Okay, he got injured. He's on 700K a year, right? BJ Lillard was on 700K a year. Like, put them two are probably worth more than uh, worth more than the whole team that we put out. Like, it's it's it was like a New South Wales Cup versus Jersey flag game, and you can tell by the defensive um effort, like not efforts, but the the tackling out there. Like, you look at them; they're just youngsters. You know, they're probably not used to like tackling uh, men this size. So yeah, absolutely. You know, give them a couple of years, and, and um, we mentioned just then, but I want to give a shout out to Jake Arthur. Um, he's still obviously coming into his own in this grade, but there was one set where he dragged that team kicking and screaming with him to get him back into the contest, um, directing mm-hmm. him all through the all through the set where to go, which culminated in him throwing a dummy on the inside to um, it might have been Makatoa or Hayes Perham. I'm not sure. Um, uh, it was Jordan Rankin. Jordan Rankin. There you go. And then uh, getting over for a try. And that was the a only great reason game. I noticed that was because we where we were sitting, we were behind the play, and uh, my dad who was sitting next to me goes, "Oh, they got to go left," and just numbers were all out left. And I said, no, they're going right. They've got the six and seven on the right there. It went um, Roach sort of cut out Rankin there. And then, yeah, Jake got the ball, dummied inside to Rankin, swerved out. Did he go over? over he went over untouched, I'm pretty sure. I, I think they got him like as he was diving over, but like it was yeah. ostensibly untouched, you know, so. Well, even even if he passes it to Rankin, he goes in over touch, uh, under, without being touched as well. Like it's just, look, there was no defenders out that way. But the, you, know, like the, you love to see that because that's a young half taking control of not just his team, but the entire game for that one set um, and a yeah. crucial moment. And it wasn't enough to get him home, but, you know, for a guy that could be playing SG ball, you really are encouraged to see that. Um, on a more important note, I suppose, in terms of the NRL, uh, the Eels got their first look, and I say the Eels, but fans as well, got their first look at uh, both Bryce Cartwright and a new acquisition from the, the North, Queensland, North Queensland Cowboys who flew down um, the, the day he'd signed or the week he'd signed in uh, Big Wiramu Greg, who started at a prop and um, looked a pretty good raw prospect, I reckon. Yeah, um, you can tell sort of his conditioning's a little bit down. Um, I'm not sure whether that's a, a personal attitude thing or whether that's a... Um, Cowboys thing that was up there, but yeah, I just think uh, he was blown a bit late in the game, but his runs were strong to start off with, and um, 
as we've seen with Brad and his coaches, they like to test these young fellas and sort of leave them out there a little bit longer than um, to, to show them the tough stuff and see what they're made of in those minutes where, you know, they are a bit down on gas and, but, you know, just to see what they're like in that, in that time period. And you say that the um, the fitness was a bit lacking, I agree, but I do think the, the motor was okay because the effort was still there even if the fitness wasn't. And, um, you know, he got through, uh, if you look off to, I think it was 20, 21 tackles and 10 runs for 108 metres. So a really solid effort. And most encouraging, though, is that you look at him, is you can tell that 192 centimetres and 124 kilos is athletic and that once it's tuned properly, he's going to be a great weapon off the bench for the Eels. I mean, I think, uh, sorry, Bertie, I think a preseason yeah. down with us would be very good for him. Yeah. Well, you compare him to like his um his counterpart, or not counterpart, his teammate, uh, Makatoa. Like that guy didn't come off for a break. He was like Ma- Makatoa is a very good reserve grader. Um, and I I think he's twenty eight. Is he? I have to have a quick look. But Man, all, all that matters is the massive Dragon Balls, Ethan. I'm sold. I'm buying <laughs> Yeah, Ma- the Mac attack turned uh, twenty eight this year, and uh, yeah. he was actually with the Eels in twenty twenty before the the whole season you know went to dog shit with the the COVID outbreak, but. I was very impressed when what I saw from him in the preseason, and he started the 2021 year very strongly. Um, and, you know, he probably won't get a chance in the NRL for us, but with the new rules that allow you to use second-grade players, if there is an injury crisis, I would be confident in calling up someone like Makatoa to do a job for us. He's been very solid. All right, and the other player I mentioned and, and probably will be if we talk about later in the podcast is Bryce Cartwright, who played all 80 minutes out on the left edge. Um, a pretty solid game from Bryce. Didn't overplay his hand. Uh, got, I think it was just short of 100 metres banked, was it? I'm just looking at the stats here, sorry. Uh, Bryce Cartwright, yeah, he got 90, uh, 87 metres off 10 runs, uh, a couple of offloads, and uh, most importantly, he got through 30, uh, two tackles. 32 tackles and missed just the one of two ineffective. So, and that features some big hits too. So really solid showing from Bryce, exactly what the coaches would have wanted to see, not being uh, cocky or, or reckless, um, with the ball in hand and trying to force something to happen. If the opportunity to offload is there, he takes it, but uh, without trying to force it, and defensively holding his own. And that, that's what's going to put him in the box seat to earn a, a call at the first grade, which we'll get to later. Absolutely. I think um, he started off the game the way I'd wanted him to start off the game. He was just getting his job done, um, not trying to throw fancy offloads, making sure he put his shoulder into a tackle rather than an arm. And I thought he did that well. And then when the team needed points, he sort of drew on his experience, got the ball in his hands, drifted across feet a little bit. But when the team's looking for points, that's sort of what you want from that style of player is they do drift across feet a little bit to try and um, set up something which was encouraging to see that he's uh, interested in the team, interested in himself, that, you know, rather than just sitting back and going, well, I'm going to be playing first grade next week, so I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that point about getting more involved as a team need him is important. Because it shows that he's he's involved, he cares, he's you know just switched on. So very good signs from Bryce, and he gets his just uh, just rewards uh, when we get to the later part of the podcast. Bit of a spoiler there, but yeah. Um, anyone else catch your eyes on this? We saw a couple of our New Zealand Warriors get reassigned to the the Eels for a week. Hayes Perham and Tom Ale coming to the team as part of an initiative to keep their uh, extended roster match fit and ready to go. And and for Tom Ale, he actually gets caught up to the Warriors first grade team this week. Um. Another Kiwi that's actually on our books that really impressed me, Nathaniel Roach. The rig. Um, yeah, the rig. What a rig it is. Um, just, yeah, crisp service out of dummy half. Made nice that line, line break. break. Which was, um, that, was that, so pass was, that pass was battered down, wasn't it? Am I going crazy? Did he just... I, I haven't seen the replay, but at the game, because 
passes don't go like that. It doesn't uh, matter how shocking. Uh, not only that, is. but on the next play when uh, Jake kicks the ball, it is played at and goes backwards, which then leads to a desperation series of offloads where Makatoa eventually passes it to Jock Madden, who races 60 metres to score. But yeah, just the, the standard refereeing in that game was very, very ordinary. Yeah, um, Ashley Klein has nothing to worry about. No, and this is this is what we've always brought up in both this podcast and the tip sheet is that as much as the NRL refs suck, um, if you were, <laughs> if you were, and and you know they they do a lot of good stuff, but they also get some absolute howlers, so we, we grumble. But if you attend any sort of amount of junior or New South Wales Cup games, you will see that there is no pressure coming on them. Like they, they yeah, are the best to pick. Too. Yeah, so I don't know if it's it was him having his socks down, but he runs a bit like Damien Cook, you know, and. It's, he's bit. He's got a bit of speed. Um, Nathaniel Roche, and you know, like I'm really excited that um he came to us with Papa Lee. Like we, we mentioned, it, like what are the Warriors smoking to get rid of them too? But um, other than that, um, yeah, Nathaniel is a supremely talented player who's just been dogged by injuries. Whereas mm-hmm. Papa Lee was more of a head scratcher while he was let go. So he was benefic- uh, benefiting on both ends there. And um, Roach is part of a difficult jigsaw puzzle to fit in the first grade because you got him, you got Will Smith. Arguably, Bryce Cartwright also uh, playing in that role too as, as the sort of bench utility or, or bench weapon. So uh, great problems for Brad Arthur and his uh, supporting staff there. Well, the positive going his way, he, he's a genuine um, hooker. Like Will Smith, like he can fill in there in the pinch, but this guy is, you know, he's built like a hooker. Like he can, he, he knows it in and out. So like that's one thing going his way. And, you know, if he can get a clean uh, bill of health, you know, he, you know, he, maybe he might feature towards the end. He might be, you know, the 18th um, man. For the games, you know, for the HIA, so... Yes, yeah. sir. And uh, for the Eels uh, in the New South Wales Cup, they slip back to six. Um, is it a top six or a top eight, um, Ham, for the knock-on effect? I reckon it be top six as well. Yeah, so let's operate under the pretense that it's a top six. If I just quickly go, sorry, I'll uh, quickly jump ahead on the draw to the finals. And if it's week one quarterfinals... Uh, round four. Oh, while, you, while you're getting the results, how refreshing is it not seeing magpies v magpies each week? <laughs> I was like, um, and it was just like I've only watched a few games um, and watched, it, and it's just so annoying watching magpies v magpies. And then you go to lower than that, then you got the Asquith magpies. Like seriously, are we run out of that many um, animals. We can't think of too many, too many, too many shiny objects in reserve grade football, mate. Um, now, for the knock-on effect in New South Wales Cup, they actually haven't announced their final structure based on the website. So maybe that's a, a TBA in terms of top six or top eight. I'm not sure. Uh, week 24 is their last scheduled round, and they don't actually post if it's a, what, what the bracketing is past that. So something to keep a tab on, I suppose. Um, and that brings the week that was uh, to an end. Uh, moving on to the NRL news. Uh, we already touched on it, but uh, Wiramu Greg joins the Parramatta Eels from the North Queensland Cowboys. Originally signed to a two-year deal, um, it actually includes uh, two or over two and a half years of time when you factor in that it's only around four and he joined the Eels. Uh, he departs the Cowboys mid-season uh, to join us, obviously having played in the New South Wales Cup on the weekend or the public holiday. Um, so yeah, great, great mid-season pickup for the Eels. Um, they'll try and whip him in the shape to make him a feature potentially off the bench as our campaign in the NRL uh, sort of makes a turn towards the postseason. Um, and we already sort of discussed Greg in general, so we'll move on. But um, an update to the 18th man rule that was uh, rapidly ratified last week. It's now been uh, beaten into much better shape. Uh, the new rules have been updated to reflect uh, not just HIAs and failed concussion tests. So if a team suffers from free either game-ending or failed concussion tests, 
uh, among their players. They're now eligible to bring in an 18th man into the competition or into the contest rather. And that 18th man doesn't need to be a development player or an emerging player. It was initially billed. It can just be the outright 18th man from your senior roster. So I think that's a much better uh, addition of the rule. Would you agree, boys? I think so, uh, yeah. Just yeah. Um, throwing in a development player into that situation. It, it is a worst-case scenario. Like your team is down resources. They're desperately needing someone that can plug a hole somewhere, and you're looking to play a guy that either has a, a very limited amount of experience or zero experience in the top grade. Like it, it should be like common sense. Like how many plays warm up? Twenty plays warm up. Like just make one of them. Yeah. And like just think of it. Like if we're going to travel interstate, we're going to have to bring like you know um twenty players. Plus we're going to bring a development players. Like I I get the whole development players should train and warm up and get like sort of like what they do with the origin. You know the emerging plays. But you know can you imagine who who like who would we chuck in what. Hollis, Roach, like any, like Russell, maybe Jacob Arthur. Can you imagine chucking them in because of an injury, like against grown men? They're not ready, and yeah, yeah, just make it eighteenth man. That's what they should be. And you know, I, so. I dare say that the RLPA probably put their foot down here and um came to the NRL and said, "No, we want this to be better amended." And thankfully, it has. And now, you know, I think that uh, the Canal Sharks would have qualified under the new rules, and uh, the Canberra Raiders had three players down, so they would have qualified. And maybe the Newcastle Knights on the weekend. I can't remember how many injuries they had, but they also got uh, railed with uh, Mitchell Pierce headline their uh, injury report on the weekend. It's going to be interesting because it also says um, if a player gets injured due to foul play. So does that mean um, if uh, like with the whole um, Felice Kafusi yes, and that, Madison, right? Madison would like have been one, play- of, one of the three qualifying players yeah. for the Parramatta Eels, correct? So, so if a player doesn't get, well, does that mean the player has to be Simbin as well? The on, opposition on report, like on report would be the qualifier, yeah. So yeah, that that is pretty much the major NRL and Parramatta uh, news of the week. I'm just quickly having a, a uh, browse. I mean, the Panthers and the Dragons made a player swap that no one really cares about. Um, and you know, beyond that, um, the the sort of competition rolls on. Lots of injuries, lots of talk that the the game's too fast and there's too much imbalance. But that's what's selling papers. So good stuff. The Parramatta Eels, thankfully, are neither injured nor at the bottom of the ladder. So they're doing right by both accounts, which is what you want to see. Okay, so. Previews, boys, uh, starting with juniors, which we cannot actually preview him because New South Wales Rugby League have, as I said, have a, a logistics error on the website and we can't actually see team lists. I'm just going to have a quick check now if they've updated. Uh, where is it? The We're going to smash him 100 nil. 100 nil? Easy. In, in all three grades. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we are still uh, looking at like, the and New South Wales Rugby League have quarterfinal brackets. Um, they're actually linking to round nine, which was the game, the round that just was for team lists. Um, and if I go back to round seven, they haven't updated yet. So, um, unfortunately, we cannot uh, preview that beyond the fact that the Eels will be taking on the Cronulla Sharks in all three grades in the junior representatives, being Tasha Gale, Harold Matthews, and SG Ball. As we mentioned in the reviews, uh, Tasha Gale out of the running for the finals, Harold Matthews in the play for a top two finish, and the SG Ball needing a, either a massive victory on for and against or either the, the Canberra Raiders or the uh, the Illawarra Steelers, sorry, to slip up in order to bank a spot in the top six and, and get a look into the postseason. So a uh, very big round there of implications for both teams, uh, both the battle teams, sorry, uh, pending on results. So we'll hopefully get into both grades uh, for the finals. In terms of the jersey flag, um, after men, uh, initially meant, meant to have a triple header against the uh, – when was a triple header meant to be initially ham? Um uh, Against the the Canal Sharks, correct? Yeah, it's meant to be a Bankwest triple header. 
that was understandably uh, partially rescheduled because of all the downpour. Uh, there is now a Sunday afternoon to evening triple header at Bankwest against the uh, starting with a game against the Roosters. Obviously, we're not playing in the Roosters in a row, but starting with a game against the Roosters at three thirty PM. Uh, the Jersey Flag, uh, coached by Dean Feeney, will be playing uh, their intercity rivals. I suppose rival loosely because they're not a traditional rival. Um, but the Eels looking to get a, their campaign underway for win. They'll look as such with Tyrone Harding at fullback, uh, Fruin East Hope and Marley J Townsend on the wings, Penny Tohey and Jaden Skinner in the centres. Uh, so there is a TBA there still. Uh, Clayton Falolo and Tavita Masma are your halves pairing. Uh, Jack Colavati is the lone prop named at the moment um, with Kyle Schneider in the front row, TBA holding down the one of the two number 10 jerseys. So figure that out. Uh, Ollie Clement, Chabelle Tassapali and Jaden Yates are the back rowers. On the bench, Ethan LeBlanc, Lennox Whitaker. Is, is that another new name, Lennox Whitaker, or was he there last week? Um, I feel like he was there last week. Uh, Matthew, I remember the name coming. You think he come down from um, the mid-north coast there. Good place. Uh, Matthew Dragosic and Valence Harris. Mark Tepper-Smith is the 18th man, and he is a big bopper. So assuming that uh, assuming that no one else is named, you just think Mark comes into the team. Uh, Tarsi James is out. That's the name that's missing. So he, uh, he was out last week. I think he's had a concussion. Mm-hmm. He's, he's listed in the team outs on the team sheet, so you'd have to think, based on what we see, that uh, Mark Tebby-Smith comes to the team and either he or Valence Harris probably starts. Um, so just looking at the ladder quickly in the jersey flag. Uh, Roosters are currently seventh with one win. Parramatta are eighth yet to win. Okay, so and uh, for and against is relatively close between the two, so this is a, a relatively evenly matched up uh, set of teams. You'd think good chance for the Eels to get their campaign started um, with that the curtain to the cur- the curtain raiser, the curtain raiser. The uh, first part of the triple header. So it's that, the second part of the triple header, mate. Is it the second part? Wait, what? Reserve grades on it, 10 past one. Oh, my goodness. They did flip it around. What the heck? So, yeah. <laughs> like, serious. Why? Reserve uh, grades being televised. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So they need to fill that bracket before the uh, 4 o'clock game. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, a weird little quirk there. So, it is the actual curtain rates at the NRL, even though it's the, you know, the third build game in terms of senior seniority. So, uh, yeah. Good chance the Eels to get their campaign kick-started. Um, and I will hopefully get you updates for that game. Um, I'll be out there for the triple header, no doubt. So um, on the Cumberland Throw, you can get the Jersey flag updates. And if the game's televised on the New South on the Foxtel, I might just do light updates for New South Wales Cup. If that's the case. Speaking of New South Wales Cup, uh, Eels hosting the St George Illawarra Dragons in the grade. Uh, relatively unchanged lineup, uh, just in the back row. A couple of tweaks here uh, for the Eels: Sean Russell at fullback, Solomon Iduki and Hayes Dunster on the wings, Will Penasini and Tim Lafay in the centres. Jordan Rankin and Jacob Arfa are the two Jays in the halves. Uh, Wirimu Greg starts officially, although he did start last game, but he will be partnered by Makahesi Makatoa at prop with Joey Lossick, the uh, bookender by the two at hooker. Uh, Ellie Elzegaham, Ray Stone, and Keegan Hipgrave are the new look back row. That back row has gone through a few different iterations because you've had uh, Ellie being there every game, but uh, Hipgrave and Stone have not played, and Bryce Cartwright was there last week, so... Um, couple of uh, new faces there for the team to help boost them. On the bench, Nathaniel Roach, Kai Rodwell, who's been very good, and David Hollis and Hayes Perham, who are still on loan from the Warriors, rounding out the interchange roster. Uh, Lalatoa Mata'afa is the 18th man, and they're taking on a Dragons team that features some uh, NRL-graded players. Charlie Runciman's there. Uh, Josh, Josh Carr, has he played first grade? No, you only recognize the name. He's an Eels junior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, there's some interesting names there. Lachlan Peachy, Hayden Lomax, um, so Tyron Wishart. So there's a couple of uh, either NRL pedigree or uh, or 
names that have NRL pedigree, I suppose. Um, Strong. Any any notable names there for you, Ham? Um, I suppose it's a Vinny Mossadrecki. Yeah, been, um, traps for quite a while now. Um, other than that, though, I think this is probably um, the team closest uh, to the Eels in terms of both experience and um, talent. Yeah, uh, St. George are one win from their three games uh, with a, a worse for and against than the Eels. So just floating one spot beneath the Eels too, their seventh place to Parramatta six. So another, much like the flag, this is a, on paper a very uh, evenly uh, matched contest, which is good, and it gives the Eels a chance to play in front of a home crowd and, and sort of push into or consolidate their place inside the top six. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we're talking about young Will before uh, up against some strong opposition. I think, you know, no disrespect to Charlie or City, but these are probably the, on the lower end oh, of the, the spectrum. We, we, we banged them out before, but this is by far the uh, least recognised centre he's gone up against because the, the resume of centres he's gone up against is actually ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, it's good for him. So been all about that, and this is a chance for him to maybe impose himself on the game now. Absolutely. If he can sort of really win the opportunities against these, or I'm not sure who he's um, facing, but, you know, if he can sort of show up, well, we'll know sort of where Will is at the moment. Right, let's get through this now because we've actually hit the hour mark, surprisingly. Um, oh, moving moving on to the end. This game is televised, as Ham mentioned, 110 kickoff. Um, get You can either watch it on Foxtel, Fox NRL, or KO. Um, otherwise, I'll be doing some updates on the Cumberland Row as well. So uh, you can catch them either way. On to the main event, which is kicking off at 6.15 out at Bank West. Eels back at home for another game, which is fantastic. On top of being a triple header, which is just incredible. I love having multiple games at Bank West. Um, adds to that really sort of festive feel for the day and a chance to watch some good football from games one to three, hopefully. Um, they're taking on the St. George Laura Dragons, who will run out with Matt Dufty at fullback, Cody Ramsey and Michaela Ravalawa on the flanks, with Jack Bird and Zach Lomax in the centres. Corey Norman is partnered by, partnered by Adam Clune in the halves as Ben Hunt recovers from that broken leg. In the front row, you've got Blake Laurie and Paul Vaughan with Captain Andrew McCullough at hooker. Back row of Josh Kerr, Tarek Sims, who had an awesome game against the Newcastle Knights on the weekend, uh, with Tyrell Formiano, a one-time eel, at lock forward. On the bench, you've got Pawasa Famosili, uh, Trent Merrin, Daniel Alvaro, another ex-eel, and Braden Williami, another ex-eel. Uh, so a few uh, ex-blown golds in the red and white at the moment. Uh, extended, bench of Jack- extended bench of Jackson Ford, Kate Ellis, Jordan Pereira, and Max Fierguy, coached by Anthony Griffin in his first year at the Red V. Um, not a not a terrible team, not a great team on paper, but they've played some good football this year. And it should be remembered that the St. George Laura Dragons handed the Eels a rather embarrassing 14-12 loss at Bank West, a rare loss at Bank West Stadium in round 14 of 2020. So there is no, no excuse for the Eels to take the Dragons lightly coming into this between that last um, start result and their uh, relatively solid start to the 2021 campaign. Absolutely. I think... Uh Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Oh, this is a great chance to talk about the Dragons before we get into the Eels. So, um, I was just going to say, yeah, the Dragons have been a bit of a surprise packet Yeah. Um, early in the season. I think that, um, you know, they talk about the divide. I thought the Dragons were going to be part of that divide. I thought they were I agree, 100%. very close to the wooden spoon. Yeah, and uh, instead, alongside the Titans and uh, – I'm just trying to think if anyone else That's is pretty much it. Of it. They are the two probably, and and technically Newcastle because Newcastle were seen as an ascending team that continues to just like uh, not perform. So watch themselves. Yeah. So probably them and Newcastle are the three bridge teams, the ones that are, are really genuinely competing for spot seven and eight in the top eight, and that if they you know catch fire, maybe you can make a little bit of noise. So yeah, that, that sort of uh, sets the table for the contest. But for the Eels, uh, a couple of changes this week with Quentin Gufferson captain the team from fullback. 
uh, otherwise unchanged backline, or otherwise it is an unchanged backline. Gufferson isn't exactly a change. Uh, but Mike Acevo, Tom Opacic, Murata Niakore, and Blake Ferguson are your two to five. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses are in the halves as always. One change to the starting pack with Reagan Campbell Gillard, Reed Barney, and Junior Polo once again forming that all star front row combination. Sean Lane and Ryan Madison, who is back, I hope, properly this time. Uh, alongside Nathan Brown. And I, I say that without being facetious because I absolutely love that our club takes concussion seriously. And the fact that they were willing to pull Ryan Madison for his well-being ahead of the game against the West Tigers, I think speaks volumes to the fact that they are serious about player welfare in that regard. So well done to the club, well done to Brad Arthur. Um, I, I will never be sarcastic about that sort of thing because concussions are such an important issue moving forwards. And the Eels alongside, I think the Roosters have probably led the way in that regard for players' welfare. Well, Vossi thinks we're rotten the system with all these I, fake that, that, that's, that, that, so. that is part of the comedy for me is that we've been so often accused of rotting the system, but on the flip side, we have been at the forefront alongside the Roosters, as I mentioned, who have had some absolutely dreadful luck with concussions between Jake Friend, mm-hmm. uh, Boyd Cordner, and Luke Keary. But the interchange bench for the Eels has been uh, shifted to accommodate Ryan Madison's return to the starting lineup. Oregon Kafusi and Isaiah Papali'i headline it in the 14 and 15. Will Smith and Bryce Cartwright uh, rounded out. So Smithy winning the battle for that final spot with Ray Stone losing out. Uh, Bryce, who was uh, featured prominently in the preseason by 60s as a player that would likely uh, make the round one lineup uh, before that freak uh, jaw fracture where he caught a boot. I think someone was scoring a try and he ended up catching a boot in the jaw, which broke it. Um, so Bryce has finally arrived. The Cardi party is here. Um, and we'll get into that in a minute, but the extended roster of the Eels of Ray Stone, Hayes Dunster, Keegan Hipgrave, and Jordan Rankin. B.A., a.k.a. Brad Arthur, is the coach. Yeah, so uh, a couple of big ins for the Eels. Ryan Madison, no doubt, uh, as Ham said, uh, one of the, if not the best back rowers in the game in terms of edge forwards, uh, alongside a guy that is an enigma, or an enigma wrapped in riddles, I like to say, um, in terms of idioms. Bryce Cartwright, what do we make of the Cardi Party, boys? Um... It depends how much we use him and, uh, you know, where we shift other players. You know, I think his position will be on the edge. Um, it might sort of, if he swaps with Lane and then Lane jumps back into the middle there, um, bit of difference for the team. Um, you know, having, you, we don't typically interchange our second rowers, so it uh, sort of keeps the Dragons' defence on their toes, makes them, uh, f- forces them to make a decision, which I always like. I think you should keep your opposition thinking as much as possible. Um, because eventually they'll make a mistake. Having Cardi there on the bench uh, forces their hand in defence. Yeah, you'd think that uh, in a vacuum he'd come on and replace Sean Lane for maybe 20 to 30 minutes, but given that Ryan Madison's in a state of flux with the head knock, it gives you a bit of insurance there. Also gives you a bit of cover out in the centres too if something happens to either Tom Opachik or uh, Big Murata Niakore, either Cartwright himself or um, Madison with Cartwright uh, playing in Madison's relief role give you the ability to rejig the back line without losing too much because they're both uh, relatively light in their feet for big men. But yeah, I am very interested to see how he operates for us because um, he is a game-breaker, but he also has the potential to, to break the game the wrong way if he gets too adventurous. I was going to say he could break the game either way. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned it in the review. Um, You know, we're all severely outnumbered um, in the offloads last week. You know, this is a great positive, you know, great step. Like, he can... When he offloads, he's like junior. It's like a natural offload. It's not like a forced offload like Eric, you know, Eric Grove used to yeah, do. Yeah, it is certainly between him and Junior, two of the most naturally prolific offloaders in the game. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be exciting. Um, and like Cam said, and I, and I alluded to, maybe not always exciting for the right reasons. 
But um, based on what we saw against the Western Suburbs Magpies in the in the Reggies, um, at least for one game, his shot selection was a lot better. Um, you know, he, he wasn't trying to pull the trigger on every opportunity. He had um, some really nice offloads, but it wasn't like, oh, shit, I've got the ball, I need to offload. Like, you know, get yeah. it out there. So that was a good start. Um, and, you know, we know that Brad Arthur encourages playing aggressive football and, and promoting the football um, as long as you are willing to pay your dues if you uh, cough it up. And, you know, we saw that from Bryce on the weekend as well, made 30 tackles and we missed one. So that's also a great foundational start for him. The, the challenge for Bryce would be to do that consistently. You know, he, he can't just do it one game or two games or three games. He's got to do it for 20 games. You know, he can't have those lapses that he had at Penrith and on the Gold Coast. Uh, one other probably important feature to note is that with Isaiah Papali'i shifting back to the bench, the Eels um, shore up their middle rotation significantly. Um, that allows Oregon to operate with Isaiah without having to play a lone hand. It also means that uh, BA isn't forced to awkwardly rotate Junior and Reg the way he did against the Tigers. Yeah, and you know, you look at the Dragons bench there, you got uh, Farmasuli, uh, Trent Marin, and Alvaro there, three, you know, probably not elite middle forwards, but still good middle forwards there. So um, having Papa back on the bench there will be huge uh, in, you know, hopefully keeping momentum rather than trying to change momentum because it'll be very hard to do against those three. Yes, sir. And uh, in this game, um, the. The sort of Dragons, how would you brand their play style? Because I know Tarek Sims was awesome against the Newcastle Knights, um, but they've just played solid football, I think. They haven't been, you know, outstanding or electric, but they've they've taken the contest to every team they've played, even in round one against the Sharks. Uh, but how do the Eels combat their play style and how the Eels take advantage of themselves? I just think um, we've got to do what we do best. Roll our sleeves up, tuck it under the arm. That, that's going to be the answer for so many teams, isn't it? Because we are built to win the war in the middle. And when you've yeah. got a, a front row of Reg and Junior with Nathan Brown in the mix too, alongside Kafusi Papali'i, and when he gets back there eventually, Murata Niakore, our game plan will start by you know punching them in the face and winning that north-south battle. Yeah, I think we've also... I think the our right edge, their left edge, is the key to this game. Uh, Adam Clune out there struck up a beautiful partnership with Tarek Sims, Sim was on. Uh, Sims was on fire. Yeah, that was a vint- that, that was a throwback game to when he was at the like a, a young kid at the Cowboys and was so exciting. He was everywhere. I think um, all four in that edge need to keep on their toes defensively, but I also think there's a bit of uh, we could exploit them a little bit down that edge. I think um, Jack Bird bit old knees now. Uh, Cody Ramsey had a bit of a bobble on the weekend, and also got the size of Fergo up against uh, the Twig on that, on that <laughs> side. So. Um, and then obviously, despite them striking up a partnership, um, Clune and Sims, I think there's a bit of uh, defensive exploitation you could bring out there with uh, Dill and Gutho. And if there was one player you had to put the clamps on, boys, who would it be? Birdie, I'll start with L- you. Uh, Lomax, like, mm-hmm. you just got to look at um, the previous games. They just they kick happy to him. They're always trying to kick it to him. And you look at that game we played them last year. I know it was horrendous c- conditions, but um, Lomax was you know, catching the ball finally in that condition. So just put pressure on the kickers, you know. Um, you know, Norman, yeah, he's got a big boot on him, but he's not so much like a natural kicker, like in terms of short kicking. And, yeah, just if, if Pereira was playing, I'd be a bit worried because he's very he, – he seems to be very hard to tackle. He's like a sort of like a Brian Toto. He, he like went off have, in that game against us, that 14-12 mm-hmm. loss. He had a very big game. Yeah. But other than that, just um, it's just the Lomax and Ravalava um, edge. Like, I know uh, it's just – Ravalava's a big, you know, big-bodied winger, and Lomax, you know, he could. There's a swipe of him in the juniors, and you know, it's only been recently, um, the past two years, where he's actually sort of lived up to it to a degree. But 
Yeah, other than that, nothing really um, scares me, to be honest. Ham, anything to sort of uh, wrap this uh, preview segment up with? Um, I mean, you've always got to watch out for Corey Norman, a player coming up against his old club. He loves he loves a little show and go as well, Corey, so you've got to respect his ability to throw the dummy. Absolutely, and I think he'll, he'll be up against his old uh, halves partner in Mitchell Moses now. Yeah, with the swap, exactly, yeah, with the swap of the Eels halves, it now puts them in alignment against each other. So, yeah, to make some both dominant players on that side of the field, I think, um, yeah, it'll be – actually, Corey's a left-footed kicker, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. left-footed. Clune's yeah. right, I believe. If he's a right-footed kicker, they're playing um, opposite sides there. So maybe if you trap one on the fourth, um, you can k- get one kicking from the other side of the oh, right. Yeah. Maybe That's a bit of inside call. pressure there from Marker could catch him out there on uh, long uh, defensive kicks. Yeah, and so for the Eels – Four from four, looking to make it five from five. If they do so, they equal a club record, uh, which they set uh, was eighty three initially. Yeah, and then match, and then match last year in twenty twenty. Um, so obviously, you got to get to five before you can get the six and, and break the record. So it starts by taking care of the job against the Dragons, and like I said, kick off at six fifteen p.m. Um, and just looking at the ladder quickly, the Dragons are inside the top eight, uh, holding down six spots. So plenty of important implications for the uh, early movers and shakers um, on the weekend. And the Eels hopefully to get the win. And to do that, we're going to need a first try scorer and an outcome. So um, let's get to that, boys. Who's stepping up to the plate first this week? We, we gave Birdie the, the opening rant, so um, we should probably give him the opening tip as well. Oh, oh you know, I, I'm ashamed to be a Murata fan. I haven't backed him to be first try scorer all year. And, you know, he gets the, he gets the first try scorer. It's a yeah, juicy off last week. Yeah. But um, now I'm going to back him this week. I reckon he's going to run over the top of um, Jack Bird, Big Mac, Jake. Jack Bird, whatever his name is. But, um, yeah, I think uh, he'll just uh, – not this time it will just be a short ball and he'll just run over him. And I'm going to go with a 32-6 um, a to six score line. And last try scorer for a Smokey, I'm going the Big Reg. I reckon he's going to salute <laughs> and might have a try scorer celebration, you know. Like um, Reedy mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, he likes to mention to the lads um, that big run he had. But, uh yeah, I think we're going to have a big the, uh, performance from him. The Reed and Reg banter is one of my favourite ongoing storylines at Parramatta. Those two just love giving each other a oh, bit of serve. And even the um, the Guffo and Fergo, like just just the whole like we're gonna, we're going to miss Fergo, but just the whole um, how they interact with each other, big money, big money Moses. Is that what they call him? Yeah. Moses now, <laughs> yeah, big big money Moses. I think it was yeah. But yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Am what do you got, brother? Brother. Um, first try scorer. I reckon it's going to be a short ball from Dylan Brown to Sean Lane to crash over. We haven't seen it for a little while. They we did it quite yeah. well on the edge there, especially in 2019, but I think um, they're going to really exp- try and exploit that uh, Dragons left edge there. So yeah, I reckon a short ball um, in between defenders will see Sean crash over there. Um, Dragons have been playing very well, so I think it'll be a very tight contest, probably um, two, two, two tries to two converted tries in it. Um, Parramatta... Parramatta 16, Dragon 6. Solid. So a bit more of a defensive game from him there. Uh, for me, um, the the mean lord of me wants to say that Bryce Cartwright's going to come off the bench and score the first try, which <laughs> is outrageous. So I'll, I won't say that. I'll go with I go with the big Fijian, uh, going to set the tone against his uh, running mate in Ravalawa. So Mike Acevo getting over first. Um, I will go with a 26-10 to 10 victory, which I feel was... A marginal thereabouts I usually end up picking, but it feels like a pretty, a pretty safe uh, sort of uh, range there. So 26-10 for the Eels. Um, and, yeah, and I'm just hoping we play some good football and, and account for a team that's been pretty solid. This will be a, a not a litmus test for the Eels, but a, 
I think a good way to back up their you know rough around the edges performance against the West Tigers because the Dragons will punish them much harder than the Tigers did uh, for the same sort of game plan or execution Absolutely. of a game plan. To, as Joe Grimes says on the tip sheet, that's what this is why you need to listen to it, folks. We we are very lucky on the tip sheet to have a guest like Joey because it is very good listening and um, with the hashtag Ask Joey segment this week, I hope we actually get some good questions. And he's a very smart, intelligent man, very smart, intelligent footballer. But I think it's the simplest thing he says, and he breaks it down so easily. Complete and get to the kick. I have a question. Now, before we run out, there's a guy walking around with a bucket with a bloody towel on top of it, and the players are getting a hit off it. What, is, what are they sniffing? Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's vapor rub and hot water. Yeah, it's that. And yeah. if, it's, if it's a small thing, it can be ammonia or smelling salts. Um, so I was going to say, like, if it was vapor rub, you know, I put vapor rub on my chest and nose, but I don't get that kind of bloody um, hit off that, you know. I'm not yeah, it just opens the, up the nostrils. Opens up the nostrils. Make sure you're like you get like that sort of uh, jerk to make sure you're fully like. Not that they wouldn't be awake, but like you're fully like it's go time. Um, I saw I saw a couple of players' eyes roll the back of their head. Man, Virgo's nose has got fixed up straight away. It, like, it is. It is <laughs> a pretty crazy. It is a potent smell. Uh, it. it you know when you have something like that almost singes your nostrils and makes you flare, like you flare your nose and, and like blink? That That's how powerful that sort of stuff is. So really- Put some hair on your chest, eh? Like moonshine, eh? Yeah, it burns, burns your nostrils and puts some hair in your chest, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, 6.15 kickoff for that one, folks. So if you're going to be out there, hopefully in attendance for a full house or watching that uh, on Foxtel, I believe, right? The uh, six o'clock yes. game goes to yeah. Fox. So uh, support your team one way or another. And for the Para podcast, that'll put the-, the uh, Nice uh, little bow and, and wrap up on another episode without Hamish, unfortunately. Uh, I was going to say, Hamish predicted. Oh, he did predict this week. We don't have to do a stupid meme prediction for him. What did he he did a Parramatta win 32 to 16. And I'll tell you what, there's some uh, geniuses on this podcast because, or uh, well, great minds think alike, as he said, uh, first try scorer, Mike Acevo. There you go. So he, he's back in the, the fisticuffs between the Fijians there or the FTS between the Fijians, rather. So good to see. I wouldn't say great minds. But um, good, good, good to see like minds think alike, I suppose. Uh, but yes, um, and hopefully at some point we will get Hamish back because uh, it isn't quite the same without him on the podcast, but he is very busy at the moment. And uh, thankfully we're in a position where the podcast can go ahead because we've got the uh, the awesome rants of Birdie and Ham and I's collective ability to waffle on for <laughs> two hours. We're all here for the start. You can probably turn off after this. If yeah, you're listening, yeah. if you're this far in, what are you doing? Just yeah, listen to the exactly. first you got your Exactly. You got your feet. value in the first two minutes of this podcast. So. <laughs> I just want to say, we, we, we put out episodes every week. We're not like some other podcasts that just put one episode out and just go into retirement. You know, we're here for the long haul. <laughs> Bertie, you are in such fine form, man. I'm going to have to get you caught up to the eels. Like, you'll be the inspirational ranter. Mate. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I reckon I get, the, I get the lads fired up. But, uh, yeah, just stick that, with that us, was- you know. They won't need the uh, Vixen hot water. Just get burnt. <laughs> just get burnt in the bucket. Burnt on the pulpit. Oh. Fire and brimstone. And um, that will be a wrap for another episode, folks. Thanks for joining us as always, and look forward to next week with hopefully Hamish back. Catch his later. Later, guys. Have a good one. Go the Eels. We raise our voices to the sky.